This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, welcome to the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend Darren Paltrowitz here, and we are talking all things Dave. Darren, how you doing? You know, it's it's not the greatest when you survive a 4th of July weekend. You go, man, I wish there was more days in the week. But then you talk to Steve Roth, and it all picks up. <laughs> business is in business again. I'll take it. Are you good? I'm good, man. I'm good, and I'm getting better. So I'm thrilled to talk about this episode because before we get to it, uh, we've got a great, great interview coming up that – I have had the pleasure of listening to and just have been enthralled and laughing my ass off with these stories. We'll get to that in a second. As far as new Dave news, I mean, there's not too much. You know, you can set your clock. It's been about, what, six to eight weeks since Sammy Hagar slagged Dave. So, yeah, we got that <laughs> last week. A week ago on Ultimate Classic Rock and a bunch of other plays, Sammy Hagar slams David Lee Roth's, quote, bullshit stage persona. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, I don't want to talk bad about the guy. And I don't want to judge. I really don't know him. But his stage presence is bullshit. He seems like a fake guy. It's like, okay, I love Sammy, but dude, enough already, you know? He did that, and then he announced his own Vegas residency. Did you catch that part? All the irony just kills you, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, he did that. Then he, I think maybe that same interview with the Brazilian journalist podcaster, he talked about how he's so sorry that he said anything bad about Eddie in his book. And he talked about Eddie's dark side. So it's like, so he's still slagging Roth. He's conditionally slagging Eddie. <laughs> and he's, yeah, he's, that's our Sammy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it just cracks me up because literally he contradicts himself. He's like, um, you know, I don't know what he cares about. I really don't. I don't know him. I have no idea who that guy is. But he's very much into himself, very much being into being a showman and doesn't really care. But he entertains me. I enjoy watching him do stupid shit. I mean, you can set your watch. Let's set a calendar for September. By the end of September, there'll probably be another quote of Sammy talking about Dave. And you know what it, it magnifies for me? It reminds me, if you just look back through the years, I mean, initially, Dave could could often give as good as he got, but yeah. actually, let me say give as good as he, as he got, but didn't do it very often. Do you know what I mean? I think through it all and not that, I mean, obviously enough people still care if, if you look at any Facebook comments that this old battle still keeps going on and on. Yeah. But I think overall, when you look at it, you know, whether he quit or got fired or whatever the deal was at the end of the day, I mean, the, Dave slung far less mud really in his book. And that was kind of about it. But that was kind of benign as far as just the constant attacks through the years. And it certainly slowed down a lot after Dave. I mean, certainly it, it changed mightily the last 15 years or so since, you know, the Van Halen reunion and everything. But, man, right afterwards and through the 90s, I mean, it was just he was an easy target for all those guys. And it, I just Dave didn't really always return fire, and that was all right by me. Yeah, you have to also look at what Dave's criticisms of Van Halen were versus what Van Halen's criticisms of Dave were to really, really generalize here. Dave's criticizing of Van Halen, from what I remember, was primarily that the music wasn't edgy, that it was more toned down with having more ballads, And then it was kind of more of the same while he was taking chances and he was still edgy. That was the bulk of it. And then Sammy would go, I can out sing him. We've sold more records than him. I'm still relevant. He needs me to headline. (laughs) So it's kind of like one of them is staying in your lane and the other one is picking a fight when you think about it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's it's even before anybody coined the phrase clickbait, it was clickbait. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And I admire, though, that Sammy seems to, long, to, to get along with everybody on the planet except uh, Diamond Dave. Um, hmm. I mean, he gets along perfectly with Ted Nugent. He gets along with everybody outwardly (laughs) so there's there's something to learn from that if there's anything i noticed the last few years with all this is that a slight tone change he will grudgingly give dave some compliments and say i dig him i like him i like the show yeah he's funny he's the best at what he does that sort of thing 
And then followed up by, here's a shiv in your back, you know, for a long time, there was, there was, there was not a lot of like compliments or anything. And we've probably spent four and a half to uh, four and a half minutes too long talking about this, but <laughs> Dave's AWOL again, we saw a couple cartoons, right? Uh, one uh, I thought was hilarious uh, over 4th of July weekend about uh, the great American restaurants all, are yeah. all open again, <laughs> fast food. And then, of course, there's a mysterious stalker thing that's going on that he alluded to that that's, I think, going to be the next installment of the Dave comic series about a big problem with a stalker that he had, which reminds me, wave, I don't know if I got to look. It was on DavidLeeRoth.com for a long time, but there's a tab back there of his blog when he was writing some really lengthy blog posts. And one of them was about a stalker. And this is going about on about 10 years ago. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting what what, what these comics uh, what these comics say what what the story is going to be all about. There was uh, I can't remember his name. I feel horrible for it, but his rhythm guitarist on the Vegas residency and the Kiss dates that he completed. One of the two guitars just joined Rat. So yes. I think that's even more of a telltale sign of there being no touring on the horizon because. Yeah, sure. He could pick up somebody from the Atomic Punks. <laughs> he could pick up somebody from another band. But uh, usually an artist at a Dave-like level would have you on retainer to not take other gigs. That, that True. experience as a music industry, right? Yeah, it does. And for those keeping score at home, that guy's name is Frankie Lindia. Lindia. Lindia, Lindia. There we go. So played with David Lee Roth on Van Halen Singer's 2020 tour. He made his day live debut with Rat actually here in northern uh, way up in northern Minnesota two weeks ago. So the small world nature of it all, a story that I've repeated more than once on this podcast, which is <laughs> going to see David Lee Roth in Vegas and talking to Jordan Ziff from Rat afterwards. And, you know, hey, so what are you here for? He was there to see Frankie. That's why oh, he right. went there. So the small word uh, nature of it all. <laughs> Very interesting. All right. Let, without further ado, let's set up this amazing interview you got with just a fascinating guy. Well, the backstory on this one is. Well, let's give his name. Well, that would be. Because I didn't do that. Meyer, <laughs> Frank, Frank Meyer. Meyer. Uh, the backstory on this one is that. I was getting all conspiracy theory-esque on this uh, last episode here. And I was asking you about the crazy from the heat screenplay. And one of our listeners sent it to us. That's <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. We knew it existed. And now we have it. Another listener said, yeah, about what Dave is up to. You should look into this guy named Frank Meyer. He, he seems to know Dave and know what's going on and check out this podcast. So I listened to this great podcast that Frank was on. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take a gamble here. I'm going to message Frank. And sure enough, within a couple of hours, he was back to me. Uh, he said, yeah, we could tape it this Friday at this time. And it happened. And I thought I was just going to be on the line with Frank for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to I didn't know he's going to have that much time for me. So it's such a long interview that we're uh, cutting this into two parts, yes. two episodes. Yes. And wow. Uh, well, you knew of him from the Street Walking Cheetahs, right? Right. I know I knew of him. Yeah, I didn't know all the other things that he's done. I mean, just uh, the guy's got a resume a mile long and not just as a musician. Yes. Yeah, so without spoiling anything. I came away so hopeful from listening to this interview because anytime I think that Dave is standing there with the ponytail tied up and he's businessman Dave all the time, we actually, through Frank's stories, which check out, hear the Dave that we visualize in our heads in everyday real life. Right. <laughs> it's a combination through Frank interviewing him to go into really rare press events through knowing people who knew Dave. And you're going to also hear in part two, without spoiling too much, that he grew up with the Zappa kids and how that tied in with David Lee Roth and Van Halen as well. Wow. Yeah. Just, uh, and, and he mentions it, but let's just give everyone an idea of the time frame. We're talking early to uh, basically the nineties, correct? Yeah. We, I think the first interview experience he's talking about 
is after he saw the first Vegas residency, which was 95, I think. I think, yeah, with the Mambo Slammers, 95 or 96. It was after your Filthy Little Mouth came out in that tour. So there was something that happened before that in 94-ish, 95-ish. But his first interview with Diamond Dave, I believe, is 97. And the stories seem to keep going over the next five years before a little bit of radio silence and then pick up again in the mid 2000s. So this is not dark ages, Dave entirely. All right. Well, it is a great interview. I found myself laughing out loud. You guys have just a fantastic, I'm laughing now just thinking about it. You guys just had a fantastic conversation. Uh, if I ever had a chance to like sit like within earshot at a bar stool with you and him and chat and hear some of these stories live or any variations of them, I will jump at that chance because he's he's a great storyteller he's got a great memory for this stuff but i mean just his experiences in this were was just great yes and hey gotta plug him as a musician besides yes. work with the straight walking cheetahs there's the new album he has with eddie spaghetti from the super suckers he's co-written a bunch of stuff but frank meyer m-e-y-e-r frank meyer you'll see every damn thing he's co-written directed produced written like i think he's at eight books now he co-wrote that great ramones but a uh, memoir with the tour manager monty melnick frank meyer he is everything you would hope he would be and more it'll all be in the show notes this guy all does a lot in the show notes well hey thank you for listening without further ado it, it's my job right i'll yeah. take it out for once <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you for listening thanks to steve for putting this all together for making it happen in the large <laughs> scheme of things and right nothing but yeah <laughs> thanks everyone frank longtime listener of your music yet music is about 10 percent like the guy from the band that's 10 percent of what you do because over the years author of seven or eight books director, producer, interviewer slash journalist. In other words, you're one of those guys of what can't Frank do within the entertainment realm? When exactly was it that it became, hey, he's just not the guy from the band that's been on a major label and rather he's director slash producer Frank, like around what year? Uh, well, thank you for all that uh, praise, by the way. But uh, it, I mean, it was kind of always that way in the sense that um, I started playing music when I was a little kid, but when I went to college, I studied journalism and I was already writing for, at that time, it was like fanzines. So I would say in the, by the mid nineties, I was, I had graduated college. I was writing pretty regularly for a bunch of magazines. Uh, I, I was, I had just formed the Streetwalk and Cheetahs, which I'd been in the bands before that, but that was sort of my first band that got signed and sort of, you know, did any real, noticeable business and uh so it's probably around then and then, and then at that time also i had also quickly realized that just having a career in punk rock was not necessarily going to pay the bills so i the writing thing kind of led me into i was doing publicity at the time i was kind of just doing anything i could do still in music business uh to make money to pay rent because you know playing gigs at that time at raji's and the coconut teaser and all the places around Hollywood, you know, you weren't exactly going to pay rent on that stuff. So I was always sort of doing everything at once. And then it was maybe 10 years later that I was working for TV networks. I was working on TV shows and I had written some books and I started directing films and it all, but it all just sort of culminated. You know what I mean? As a journalist, do you remember who your first interview was? Ooh, that's a really good question. My first interview as a journalist, God, I, I, I really don't remember. Um, I remember writing really early on and I remember in my high school paper writing like concert reviews and stuff and record reviews even. And I think I started doing that before I really dug into interviewing people. I would, God, I've got to imagine that one, of, I think one of the first magazines I ever wrote for was this fanzine, my friend Lindsay Parker, who now is with Yahoo yeah. News. Uh, great, Lindsay great had a few, I got a pause plug to Lindsay great new book she has yes about, uh mercy from the zappa yeah, dynasty the gto's yeah yeah um 
so Lindsay and I go way back. We both worked at Restless Records as oh. sort of our first jobs in show business. And actually, she was one of my bosses, as was Liz Doro, who's a sort of local, you know, promoter and promoter of the, the L.A. rock scene. Uh, and there was a lot of people involved in that that sort of went on to things. And I was, you know, hustling, doing publicity, and I was playing in my punk rock bands, and I was writing for fanzines. And I think Lindsay's was the first... And it might have been our interview with Bob DeRoe from Schoolhouse Rock. That might have been the first interview. Uh, she and I did it together, but that might have been among the first ones. And I'll tell you quickly that that interview resulted in me getting the gig in Bob DeRoe's band. And I went on to tour with him, uh, singing and playing some guitar in the Schoolhouse Rock revival band, which was quite a That would have been around the time when there was that fantastic Schoolhouse Rock tribute album, right? Well, yeah, it was all inspired by that. Rhino basically finally released all that stuff on, you know, VHS, DVD, and a CD box set. And they got Bob DeRoe to round, who wrote most of that stuff and sang yeah. a lot of it. He's the guy you hearing, you know, singing, uh, you know, um, I mean, Lolly Lolly and all the, you know, all the famous ones. Um, but the, he also got Jack Sheldon, who was a singer that sang like I'm Just a Bill and played trumpet. He was a famous guy and he rounded up all the original Denny Sidewell, famous drummer. He played in Wings for a while. He rounded up all those guys, but he needed it augmented with a few people. And Bob likes, you know, working with young people. So I met him in the parking lot with Lindsay and we interviewed him and I stayed in touch with his manager. And when she told me he needed a few extra musicians, I begged and pleaded my way into the band. <laughs> wow. And Restless Records, which you named. That's a name I haven't heard in a few years. I remember They Might Be Giants, so I used to work with. They did a record and a catalog release through them. Yeah, they did. one, the the Jason Cropper from Weezer band, that was Restless. That was a great label. They also, they also re-released uh, all the Cramps records at that time. And they did a deal with Twin Tone, which was Peter Jesperson from Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. They, they did the, the sort of helped re-release all the replacements catalog at a time when that stuff was, you know, not as easy to come by. Um, this is all pre-digital, of course, but yeah. So, I mean, again, just going back, I mean, I always kind of had my hands in a bunch of different things and I always was working in the music industry behind the scenes while I was also a front man of a band. So as I went on to become doing what I do now for a living outside of music, which is directing, uh, and I generally do digital content and I do a lot of digital tutorial content for the last yeah. several years. Yeah. Fender, and now I'm at a company called Tonal. It's like fitness tech stuff. Um, and it's the same kind of thing where it's just like, I've been in front of the camera. I've been behind the camera. I've been the editor on the piece. I kind of know all the roles. So it's easy for me to jump into these things and kind of, you know, I have empathy for the talent because I've been the guy sitting there as 10 people are looking, you know, aiming cameras at you going, now just act normal. Right. You know what I mean? And you're like, what? Uh, so I know that role, but I know the role of the guy behind the camera going, now just act normal. So you know, I can kind of, uh, I feel like I have a good overall vibe of what production is in both music and in film and TV and digital, all that stuff. Yeah, as you pointed out, it's the rare person who's good with doing the interviews as being interviewed. And I reached out to you because I saw that great podcast that you did about a month or so ago, where you're telling your history of that, of working with Monty Melnick, of how you got to meet the great diamond, David Lee Roth. Mm -hmm. uh, you first interviewed Dave in 97 for Pop Smear. Do I have that correct? Yeah, although I, I've met him a little bit. The sort of, yes, you are correct. There's a little history there, which was that um, when he was doing, it was sort of what, in the overall arc of Dave's career, this is considered a low point, but of course I'm a big enough fan that there are no low points. I can say this answer. a high I consider this a high point, which is Dave in the early 90s did a, a Vegas run that it now is very typical of rock guys like him to do. But at that time, it was sort of seen like, oh, that's a cheesy thing. And he didn't do it as hard rock Dave. He did it as sort of like mambo orchestra dancing disco Dave. Yes. And so it had this very Vegas. It was D David Lee Roth and the like the mambo, mambo slammers. Yeah, the mambo busting slammers. <laughs> and the mambo slammer orchestra, I think it even was. And there was dancers. And I mean, to me, I always felt like it was the natural progression for Dave. And yeah. I don't, it wasn't his best, you know, like his vocals weren't in the best shape. I've seen him many times over the years and I've seen him be better in terms of like, you know, singing better, but I thought, and, and also a lot of hard rock fans just were not ready to see David Lee Roth in like Vegas showman mode. 
but I thought it was amazing and perfect. And at that time he was getting just all these shitty reviews. And I wrote this rave review in pork chops and applesauce. And of course it was a punk rock zine. So I never thought it would make its way to Dave, but it did. And I got a call from his manager, Eddie Anderson, his former bodyguard. And this was around the time of the DLR band record. Mm -hmm. And uh, or maybe a little bit before that, actually. But um, that was a 98 album and the Vegas residency was like 94. Right. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. Yeah. So this would have been like 94. So um, but it was around like the next thing he did was the DLR band. And it was sort of like it was that era in terms of like that was the, basically the next project I sort of was semi, you know, involved in a bizarre way with him. But uh, so anyway, so I uh, I get this call from Eddie Anderson essentially saying Dave loved your review. And he wants to know if you'd be interested in writing a, a bio for this um, song he's doing on a soundtrack to the movie Sergeant Bilko. And he had a song in there that is just for a second. And I guess his publicist at the time didn't even really want to bother making a thing out of it. So he hired me to write up the PR thing. And then he essentially gave it to his publicist and said, just put this out. And he liked that too. And suddenly I was writing a bunch of press releases and he kind of just brought me in as like the guy he thought was putting a better spin on things, but he had a publicity team at that time. Was that this would... uh, Mitch Schneider? MSO yeah, well, yeah, I didn't want to like mention names, but yes. Uh, I Mitch, mean, Mitch is the best and, and yeah. Mitch has po mostly positive recollections of this, of his 13 years with Dave. <laughs> I, like, I like Mitch a lot and a lot of folks I know came under Mitch's tutelage, like Mitch's yeah groomed some of the greatest publicists ever and he is one of the greatest publicists ever totally um but like i said this was at a time in dave's career where maybe he wasn't getting the attention that he felt he was just probably across the board not just Mitch, yeah. but i think at this time dave also might was not on warner brothers anymore he was independent uh, yes. and it was before he sort of put together that dlr band but it was that weird period in between hence why he would bother seeking my my help on anything. So, anyways, uh, I then hit, I was writing for Pop Smear, and I I felt like I had this strong enough relationship. At this point, I don't think I'd met Dave in person. I think I had just talked to him on the phone to get quotes. But he was always really cool, and Eddie loved me. And Eddie and I had hung out a bunch of times at that point. So Eddie and I were tight, and I was like, I know I can get a good sit down in person with Dave. So I went to Pop Smear, pitched it. I ended up going over with my publisher from Pop Smear, who was a good friend of mine. And we went to Dave, Dave invited us over to his house and we went to the Pasadena mansion and we sat in his, he gave us a full tour and he, we sat in his like back house studio and he was playing us unreleased songs, uh, jams and just all this stuff. And I spent probably eight hours at his place and we stopped on the way. Eddie had a stop on the way. We followed him and he bought a box of alcohol, just like, Patron and wine and beer and we killed it all like I got so fucking wasted that at one point I was in Dave's bathroom taking a pee and like the whole room started spinning and I kind of had to focus but like do not vomit in David Lee Ross bathroom do not you know like keep it together keep it and I managed to keep it together and I drove out of there and my my friend was a mess and uh and Dave turns to me he's like is he, is he gonna be all right and I'm like yeah, yeah Dave we're fine thanks so much great great hanging with you man and we split and i go down the driveway and the gates open and i turn the corner and i park and then i open the door and i just vomited you know and then drove my friend home and my friend got so wasted he missed his he missed his flight the next morning too so um anyway so that was my first time with dave and then basically i don't want to go on forever but i had a bunch more encounters no, no, with please do go on forever because <laughs> this is this is excellent i don't want to say content but if, if I could pause it for right sure. there, there's particular periods of Dave's career where you don't hear anything. Nobody really right. says anything until they're asked. So it's like if you were to talk to Henry Rollins, you'd probably hear what happened for Dave between 1994 and 2000. And no one else knows this. kind Right. Of right. That's true. So That's true. it is interesting. So please keep going. Frank. Thank you. Uh, well, so then the next one. So that article came out and uh, Dave really liked it. And uh, I put sort of a super fan spin on it. And I think he just liked the reverence. And I also think that I was, you know, younger than most at that time than most of the rock journalists he was dealing with. And I think mm -hmm. he was very hip to like the underground scene and fanzines. And he liked the idea, I think, that 
this is the time when fanzines pulled a lot of weight. Like they, yeah. they were very underground, but like the record companies were, were trying to get groups in fanzines. So like we were generally an indie fanzine covering more indie rock, but we all loved Dave. So we'd put him on the cover with, like twice in a row because we were just like, if he'll talk to us, he's on the cover. Who the fuck else is going to be on the cover if we've got a Dave interview? So the, the, the first time kind of trying to think am i mixing up the order here you know i'm mixing up the order let me let me uh i'll reverse that which is the first that was the second time i interviewed dave the, the time i went to his house was the second time i interviewed him in person the first time was at the chateau marmar hotel and this was eddie hooked dave and i up to meet in the bar there and we were going to talk and this began a long pattern of me having something kind of important planned and then being told by Eddie Anderson, Dave will see you now, and me going, fuck, and having to sort of hustle. So I had a gig that night with the Cheetahs at a club called Bar Deluxe, a small little bar, shithole, but one of my favorites, uh, down the street from Chateau Marmar. And mm -hmm. so I do the interview with Dave, but the whole time I'm kind of like, Ugh. I mean, and, and that's not how I wanted to be in my first time with Dave, like rushing it. But, I, you know, we went like three hours and I'm going, uh, what time are we on? And so we wrap it up and we leave. And Dave, by the way, walked in in full leather outfit, leather jacket, leather pants, like the chaps on the jeans, you know, the whole thing. Like it was amazing. He just he had this is when he had still had the long blonde hair, sort of like I said, around the DLR period in terms of his look and everything, sort of yeah. what that is a few years before that. But so that interview, we did it at the hotel and then I'm leaving and I said to Dave, cause I, you know, went well, he, we got along well. And uh, I go, hey man, I'm playing a gig with my band right up the street. If uh, you want to come down, he goes, well, Frank, I'm headed to Crazy Girls to see the strippers. So it's either your punk rock band or titties at Crazy Girl. What would you do? And I go, I would obviously go to see the titties. And he goes, all right, man, but I'll be there all night if you want to hang out. And that was like the, oh shit. So I raced over to Bar Deluxe, ran up to the band and said, I got to go split and hang out with David Lee Roth. So we got to rush this set. We're cutting three songs and I want to play this shit fast. And I did no talking. I went, ba -ba 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 -ba. good night, everybody. And then I jumped back in the car, brought Lindsey Parker with me and my friend uh, John Anderley, son of um, record executive David Anderley, famous for Beach Boys Smile and all sorts yeah. of stuff. So John and Lindsey and I, roll over to crazy girls we get there maybe around one or one thirty and i'm thinking like we're only going to catch dave if he's even still there for a few minutes but he kept the place open for us like when they were closing he's like mario i'll stay here with my friends and they kept a couple strippers and the bartender and we were there till like 4 30 in the morning just and he had the strippers doing lap dances on each other for us which i'd never even thought of before um like he had the stripper technology. He was very ahead of the stripper design. technology. You know Write I mean? that one down for a future song, by the way. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so anyway, so that was the number, that was the first one. That interview came out and Dave liked it so much that he invited me to his house. And that was the other story I told you, which was number two. Right. Then, then uh, he was, I, I interviewed him a few more times. I did the Ramones book. I interviewed him for that. Um, I think I did an LA Weekly art interview with him and a few other random things. Because at that point, I was just like, well, fuck, if Dave will talk to me, I'll pitch it to everyone just as an excuse yeah. to keep hanging out with Dave. So, but the next sort of in-person one I remember being really cool was there was a rehearsal for the DLR band who were essentially Atomic Punks. And yeah. it was, there's a Finland show he did. It was a big festival yes. in Finland. I, I have watched this, got to pause here. I have watched it many times. It's like MTV4 Finland. Yeah. This, this has come up in the podcast a number of times. And then this guy who was there named Lars from Finland is like, hey, that's my sign. You see me holding a sign in the crowd. I'm in the second row. And that is David Lee Roth in top form vocally, everything. I okay. love that show. Go so, ahead. Yeah. And as you know, he did all Van Halen songs. They didn't and even do, not even Yankee Rose or, or there was no Tobacco Road, I don't think. I think it was just a straight up Van Halen set. Got to pause it. There was Yankee Rose and there was Slam Dunk, but otherwise, Slam, yeah. But I think when I saw, I could be wrong, but I believe that when we saw him rehearse, so the story is that I got to go see him rehearse that entire headlining set at a rehearsal studio in Burbank. 
And I want to say that when we saw it, that he didn't do either one of those, that it was an all Van Halen set at the rehearsal. But again, I could have, I was also, you know, there's when the Dave's around, there's always drinks and stuff. And I'm sure we <laughs> probably smoked a joint before we went in or something. I'm just saying like my memory, I'm not, you know, might be foggy, but I recall yeah. it being an all Van Halen set when, when we saw him. Anyways, the cool part though, is that I brought the woman that, that time i don't think we were married but she became the wife and mother of my children we're since divorced and um and i brought two friends of mine from the rock band the b-movie rats who are another sort of like raucous punk rocky you know band of ours because they were van halen freaks like me so there's only about 15 people at this rehearsal besides the band and the crew and eddie so it's them rehearsing on a sound stage and our, we're just all sitting on the floor and i remember during Panama he just walked out and he had the full leather outfit and he grinded his crotch right up to my my lady's face it was like reach down between my legs and I was just like oh my god like you know who would have fucking ever thought this would be happening in our lives right now so then the show happens it's epic we I mean the the, the rehearsal and I'm always sort of very like I always try to sort of stay in my lane and know and like not overstay my welcome and like one mm -hmm. thing that i now regret is i never once took a picture with dave because i always felt like i have had such unbelievable access and of course he knew i was a fan and he knew i was a journalist but in a weird way like once i had the access and, and we were dialoguing like sort of normal people although you know he's diamond dave he's always yeah. he was always in diamond dave mode but i felt like we had a good thing so I didn't ever want to screw it up by like going, can I get your autograph or do you take a selfie with me? Of course, now I wish the amount of times I hung out with him and I have no evidence of it other than my many articles, but there's no photographic evidence. Actually, there is one thing I'll tell you about in a second. But um, anyways, so I leave the rehearsal assuming, you know, Dave wants to cool down and talk to the band and not be bothered with the likes of me. So me and my, my, uh, wife to be go Dave such a pleasure man so great and he's just sitting there in a in a chair there's a like with a behind the behind the stage was sort of a room with a console like a studio room they'd probably recorded it we're listening back to rehearsal at some point or whatever and uh, Dave's just sitting there kind of toweling off there's a bottle of Jack there but it doesn't even look like he's tapped it yet and I just go thanks so much man blah 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 and all right thanks Frank Mrs. Meyer always a pleasure you know we split I call my friends the next day to say like, man, how cool is that? And my friend answers, ooh. And I go, what? what's up, man? Did you guys go partying after the, uh, the Dave rehearsal? And he goes, no, we partied with Dave all night. I just got back like two hours ago. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I left, was about to leave right after you. And I said, Dave, you know, such a pleasure to meet you blah 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 man i got one wish in the whole wide world can i hit that bottle with you and do a shot and dave looked at me and said only if you boys are going to kill the bottle with me <laughs> and they stayed all night and killed the bottle with him and said they even hit a second one and like he just was talking and playing music and hosting for whoever stayed around and i'm like but i didn't stay around he goes i know i don't know why you left <laughs> the overstaying the the welcome thing i, mean, I thought i was yeah I thought I was reading the room. Apparently I was absolutely not reading the room. So then the other, then I also went, uh, I saw Dave and, and bad company in San Diego around that time. Um, and Dave invited me to club Dave backstage, which was a full Hawaiian style party. And it was great. Cause he walked out with two twin strippers and, and he had a Hawaiian lay and he was putting lays on people. And I was the first person he walked up to and he goes like, you know, Mr. Meyer, and then he puts the lay on me and he goes, Mrs. Meyer, always a pleasure. He would always say that to my wife, Mrs. Meyer, always a pleasure. And he put the lays on us and my friend Scott was there. He put a lay on Scott. We all hung out. Amazingly, I was the designated driver that night. So I didn't drink, I might've at some point had a beer, but I was not drinking or partying. I, I, I know that I did have a hit off a joint. And the reason I say that is because my eyes must've been red I don't know. I just say like I was not partying hard or anything that night, but we did hang out with at a Dave concert for sure. you know hours and party with Dave. Although, like I said, I wasn't partying at the designated driver. I did, however, have a brand new car, and I was so supercharged, happy by having hung out with Dave at Club Dave and seeing the show. I peeled out of the parking lot immediately. Lights flash. I get pulled over. They run. I tell them. I, you know, I, they're like, you just come from the David Lee Roth Bad Company concert. I'm like, 
yes, officer. And I know that doesn't sound good, but I was a designated driver and I didn't party. And they're like, step out of the car. They ran me through everything twice. I seemingly did fine. They arrested me anyway, handed my keys to my drunk ass wife and sent her off drunk driving. They were convinced, and this is why I say, I assume my eyes were red because they were convinced I was high, even though I passed the test. They would just figured I was on like heroin or Coke or weed or whatever. So they take me to the police station and all of the, um, they want to take my blood. And they, they, uh, all of the nurses were on some car crash up the freeway. So they put me in a, in a cop car again and drove me to the other side of town to another police station. This is how bad these guys wanted to arrest me. And one of the many reasons I dislike cops. Um, these guys then took me to a second one. All of those nurses were on the apparently much bigger than they were told accident on the freeway. So they just threw me in jail for 14 hours, let me loose, and didn't even charge me with anything. Just fuck with me. The things we do for rock. Yep. And then there was another time when Dave and, when Dave and Sammy toured. So uh, O2, yeah. O2, Mitch got me really great access. At that point, I don't think Dave was with Eddie Anderson anymore. And, no, uh, I think he was with Matt Sensio. In that right. Event. And, and I, got a, I got a whole thing about that, too. I got a great, I got a killer story about that. That'll blow your mind. Okay. But, so, the, so the Sammy, they did an announcement for that tour at a hotel on Sunset Strip. I can't remember the name of it. But the famous one with the pool on top that everyone hangs out at. The, the Riot House, the Hyatt. Yeah, not, not the, I don't know. It's a really douchey hotel. But anyways, I mean, it's a high class, but like a lot the of standard. It, yeah, 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 one of yeah. those things. So the the party was up there, and because I knew Mitch and his at that time his lead publicist Alexander Greenberg, who oh yeah, a, yeah. Well, she, actually, she and I started in the business also together because she and I were publicists at Red Ant together. Uh, many moons Red, ago. Red Ant, the Cheap Trick indie label? Yeah, I was Cheap Trick's one of their publicists at that time. As was oh my God, Frank, the, yeah. the onion <laughs> keep getting Dude, I, I worked Salt and Pepper, I worked Sons of Man, which I made, directed a documentary about a Wu-Tang rapper that suffered a brain aneurysm, and I met that rapper at with Alex Greenberg at Red Ant, because his group Sons of Man were signed to Red Ant. It all Wow. If you stay in the business long enough, it all just sort of Hip yeah. circular, you know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so I went to that that hotel and I got to sit down with Dave at that. Um, Mitch got me in. I got to sit down in the hotel room with him and chit chat. At that point, he and I had done a million interviews together. You know, quite a few. So it was super cool and comfy. Then he hooks up with Matt Sensio around that time. I mean, it may, might have been before that. And um, and I didn't really have. I felt like I'd sort of lost some of my access because Eddie was like my guy. And I got, I somehow got, I went to go see Dave at the Orange County House of Blues and probably Mitch or Alex. Someone got me backstage passes. And I just, having spent my whole life in the music industry on stage as well, I just know how clubs work. And I was like, I have a pass. There's no reason I can't walk on stage if I look like I fucking know what I'm doing. So I just walked straight back with my pass, which I had, but I don't know that it was stage access. But I just looked like I knew what I was doing, walked right. And I'm standing on the side of the stage watching the show by myself. And some dude looks at me and goes, who the fuck are you? Like, why are you standing here? That pass does not get you this access. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, man. My name is Frank Meyer. And he goes, oh, you're Frank Meyer? Oh, cool. I'm Dave's new manager, Matt Sensio. He's told me all about you. Yeah, hold on. Let me give you an all access so you're cool. Slaps an all access on me. And I'm like, fuck, all right. This is rad. So I got to go backstage and hang out with Dave, which was great. Killer show. That was around that same era when he was really on fire. The show totally. was all great at that point. He was really awesome. And, and, and still performing on fire as part of the set list, too, I think. He was still doing a very Van Halen <laughs> heavy set. Um, but he was at that point, I feel like he was slipping in, you know, some Edom and Smile and California Girls and that stuff. But again, yes. with the rock band, he was doing the rock versions, not like the loungy stuff. Uh, so anyways, then and this is where it gets kind of interesting, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, then I pitched I at this point had written a bunch of books. Uh, I'd interviewed Dave for my um, Ramones book. I had ghostwritten a version of what became Dave Mustaine's first book. 
Okay. Because um, he went through two publishing companies and three different writers on that. But at one no, point, you're t- Dave Mustaine yeah. changed his mind. Uh, no, you know, but though that I will not hang on Dave at all. That original deals with Sanctuary and Sanctuary oh. folded and they were nice enough or he had good enough lawyers to basically when they folded, he got his book back. And I was hired by Sanctuary to work with Dave and we wrote a version of his book. But then it changed publishing hands and they ended up getting him a different writer. And when I say ghost wrote, I think I had, I don't remember if I was supposed to have credit or not, but I, I basically wrote, helped Dave write this version of his book. But then by the time it changed publishing hands, they teamed him up with another writer. It's changed directions a little bit. And that's what came out as his first, as his first book. Um, another weird story. And don't let me forget where we are because we're right at the point of- I I got it. But let me backtrack for one second, which is the way I got the Mustaine gig, who's notoriously difficult, but I will tell you, I would never had any- And I'll pause you. And does not like David Lee Roth. He he, he right. the Jim Dandy whole thing, which right. But but I, but the, <laughs> the, those paths weren't crossing at this point for, in my world. Yeah. What, what happened was I got the recommendation uh, to do the Ramones book or to do the Mustaine book from the from Sanctuary. Essentially, they they mm-hmm. liked my work on the Ramones book and they said, hey, we we need someone who knows metal and knows punk and blah, blah, blah. So they hooked me up with Dave. Dave came in and essentially was like, all right. It was literally I, me and his manager uh, sat down at a Starbucks with Dave and he sat down and he said, why should I hire you of all people? I haven't even heard of you. And I had a really good answer. This is a true answer. I said, because you were at the beginning of my entire career in show business. And he goes, what? And I go, one of my first jobs ever was as a runner at Music Grinder Rehearsal Studios on Melrose Boulevard where Megadeth recorded, so far so good, so what? And you, Dave, don't remember this because I was just a tiny little 15 year old kid. He was like 15, in California, you can't work till 16. I'm like, I understand that. I was a little 15 year old kid and I was running out and getting the band's Taco Bell. And the day that I first started by complete coincidence because I was already a super fan was Megadeth. And he's like, really? I don't remember you. And I go, why would you? I was just the guy that brought you Taco Bell. Uh, he goes, and I said, but I used to uh, hang out with Gizmo a lot. And he goes, you knew Gizmo? And I, Gizmo was their guitar tech. And so Gizmo was the guy that would give me the order, sometimes get in the car. And he would play me cool cassettes of music he was into and turn me on to like a bunch of cool bands. And he goes, how well did you know Gizmo? And I go, I mean, I don't know, pretty well. I you know, would do my food runs with him and stuff. And he goes, did you spend a lot of time alone with him? And I go, no, where are you going with this? And he goes, well, Gizmo a few years later was popped on child pornography charges. And I go, ah, well, no, our relationship didn't go there. But I rattled off a bunch of stories. I, I, uh, I was there one night when Belinda Carlisle showed up to meet Dave and Dave was super high and she was super yeah. sober. And, uh, but I mean, I, again, I was just like in that, the background of this stuff. You I know? think that made his autobiography final draft. I don't think that made her autobiography. Right, draft. right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so when I finished rattling off a few things, he basically, and then I handed him my Ramones book and he looked through the Ramones book and he's like, you're hired. So I got the gig, I did that book and then I did a bunch more, but that's the Dave story. So getting back to, to Matt Sensio. So I reach out to Matt Sensio now that I've met him at the show and essentially kind of remind him like, hey, I'm a writer. And Dave and I had a little little relationship going where I was writing a lot of stuff about him and for him just because I'm a fan and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I kind of came into this conversation with a with a uh, agenda. I said, I'm I think at this point I would have been on my third. I've written like eight books. I think this would have been around the third or fourth in that period. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to do a book with David Lee Roth called The Tao of Dave that is rock and roll philosophy with David Lee Roth. And it would be everything you'd want to know from Dave, like how to fire a guitar player, how to hire a manager, how to book a club date, how to tip a stripper, how to best barbecue sauce. You know what I mean? Like all, all the things you'd want from Dave's brain in sort of like little, you know, Zen like um, quotes or something. Mm-hmm. And, he, he, and I also, at that time, I loved those Van Halen, um, have you ever seen those old tour programs, you know, that oh, they yeah. used to design? So I kind of had a, this idea of it being like the Van Halen Fair Warning tour program, but with like philosophy from Dave, you know. He loved the idea and we got started on that book. And there's a version of the proposal I wrote that Dave signed off on. 
And I was going over, I was talking on Dave on the phone mainly for that stuff. Um, Matt would get me on the phone with him and I'd just sort of rattle off ideas and get his you know, feedback and he'd give me some ideas. And at one point, and this was the day that Van Halen announced their reunion tour with Sammy. So whatever date oh, that is. 607, yeah. Okay, so this is a 607. And you know the timeline here. So there's a, 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 a nugget here that I just went like, <laughs> um, I'm over at Matt's house by coincidence because he goes, hey, because I lived, in, I worked in the valley at that time and I would actually be driving by Matt's house from time to time. It sort of made it easy to get stuff happening with them. And he was like, hey, if you're going to be by, why don't you swing by? I want to talk to you about something. And he comes over and he hands me, I've got it right over here, this giant, super collectible, I'd heard about it, but never seen it, David Bowie, Mick Rock, sort of photo art book that David and Mick put, David Bowie and Mick hand put together and like there's like pages with different you know paper stock that form right. pieces of art. It's the like most five thousand dollar book. It's yeah. a five okay. It's a it's the five thousand dollar book, and as you know, only one limited pressing. And the first batch, I don't think it was five thousand, but a bunch of them came signed. He hands me the signed to David Lee Roth fucking book and says. Dave wants you to borrow this and look at it as inspiration for your guy's book. And I was like, wow, dope. Hell yeah. By the way, that was the last time I ever saw Dave or Matt. So I still have that book. Dave, you know, one of these days, Dave's going to see one of the interviews where I've confessed to this and I'll get a call saying, can I get my motherfucking book back, please? Yeah. But I have Dave's book. So um, it's sitting right over there. Um, yeah. Dave, but here's, the, here's the, the mind blower. I said, man, it is such a drag as we sit here you know eddie and sammy are announcing their reunion tour and as you and i both know it should have been dave and i know they were trying to get it together forever and it just couldn't happen and he goes yeah man he goes we tried so hard it's so many times you know the whole mtv you know uh awards thing and then yeah. we did the songs on the greatest hits we thought that would sort of lead to a more formal reunion and it didn't and then uh you know back in uh 2000 when they went to the studio and recorded all those songs and I went whoa, whoa what and he goes yeah oh I guess you know a lot of people don't know this I guess you don't know this but in 2000 again three years after MTV seven years before the reunion he says Dave went up to 5150 and they wrote most of an entire most of a new album a bunch of original songs mm -hmm. and recorded them live at 5150 and I went, now again, now this information is slightly known. I'd never heard this before and I'm a super freak. And this was around the time I was like, what? You're telling me they went in and wrote and re recorded? Do you, have you heard this stuff? And he goes, yeah, I got a tape of it. Want to hear it? And he played it for me, the yeah. whole thing. And what it was is it wasn't the remake songs. So it wasn't Tattoo, because that's Down in Flames, and it wasn't She's yeah. the Woman. It wasn't all the songs that stemmed from old. It was all the rest of them. So it was As Is, and it was Honey Baby, and it was uh, Trouble With Never, and it was um, Blood and uh, Fire. It was all the songs that, that weren't stemming, essentially, from some you know, pre-Van Halen 1 idea. And each one, it was a soundboard tape from 5150 of all four of them. So presumably it was Michael Anthony, though I don't recall if I asked him that question. It could have been that they did it as a three-piece and then Ed played the bass later. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's it, kind of cloudy to pause you there because like in 04 when they reunited with Sammy and they did the two or three new songs for the greatest hits, it was Eddie playing bass on that. So the right. scenes of that might have been- Yeah, old. it's certainly possible that, that they were, you know, I mean, it sounded live. So, and I asked him and he said, it's them live in the studio, but it could have been them as a three piece live or even as a two piece, then Dave did his vocals, then Eddie did his bass. But I, it yeah. sounded generally like they were live in the studio jamming in whatever form. And each song stopped dead in the middle. Like the bands, that's how, in fact, that's how I know it was live because you could hear count offs and you could hear them stop and a little bit of noise. And then he'd go to the next song. And I was like, what's the deal with them stopping somewhere right around the solo? Like before after he goes, well, that was Dave's thing is that Dave knew that he was in Eddie's studio on Eddie's tapes. 
and that once he walked out the door, who knew what was going to happen to that stuff? And he didn't want it all to show up as bonus tracks at some point without his permission. So he told Eddie the only way he'd go in and do these sort of live demos is if they didn't have full recordings of them until they cut the deal to put it out as an album as Van Halen, which didn't happen for another, you know, several years. Yeah. So, um, but those tapes exist and I've heard them and they were awesome. And the first thing that I heard, and I, because I, it was just burned in my brain, is he played me as is, but it didn't have the intro, the whole sludgy intro. Yeah. It just, this is what blew my mind, is when he played it for me, it just went, and the double kick drum, and it was like, you know, it's basically Hot for Teacher Part yeah. 2, and I was just like, holy shit! And then Dave comes in, and I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, not only do they go into the studio, it sounds like this, and then the next song was Blood and Fire, and he's going, look at all the people here. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is the greatest. And, and Matt's like, and you can't tell anyone <laughs> you heard this. And I didn't tell anyone only in the last like year, as I've been doing so many interviews because my music stuff's been happening and blah, blah, blah. I've, I've done enough interviews where I finally just told that story because it's a good story and there's enough distance and Eddie's not around anymore and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, because I don't want to ever... I always keep my place as a worshiper of Van Halen. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I was with Dave when he was talking a lot of mad shit about Van Halen too, because he was, you know, upset. Yeah. With so the, the, where my story essentially ends with Dave is that a um, few years later, they introduced the, the Van Halen tour at another hotel uh, in Beverly Hills. All three members plus Wolfgang come out and there's a press conference and Dave sort of leads it. There's a video of that entire thing and you can watch this happen on the video. This is the only evidence of me and Dave really. I mean, like I said, photographic is I was standing in the front. I got in just because I wanted to be there. I wasn't re even reporting it for anyone. I just pulled some strings and got in. I think my yeah. friend from Warner Brothers got me in this girl, Renee Harrison. Who's oh yeah, Renee, yeah. yeah. So Renee got me in and Renee and I were standing right at the front of the, of the velvet rope and she turns to me and she goes, I'm like, oh, thank you so much for getting me in. I'm just so stoked to be here. And she's like, uh, don't you know, Dave? And I go, yeah, but you know, it's been a couple of years and you know, Dave's such a rock star. Like, yeah. I feel like, does anybody, does anybody know Dave? Like, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sure if I reminded him who I was, he'd remember me, but I don't know that he'd spot me in a crowd or whatever. And she's like, oh, okay. And then lights go down jump comes on spotlight hits the door doors open the band walks out eddie and dave for the first time in years we're all fucking freaking out dave spots me walks right up to me mid entrance he goes frank meyer and gives me like a little bro hug and keeps walking and my friend renee turns to me and goes well fuck i'd say he knows you and can spot you in a crowd and i was like wow that was insane 